Okay, if you were to uh, try and identify Superman, if you're going to try to like pick him out of a crowd, what would you look for? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that, that, that are distinguishing features of Superman, right? He can fly. Uh, he is bulletproof. He has laser beams out of his eyes. But just assuming that like, some of those distinguishing features weren't present, you would probably look for the most distinguishing feature of all, right? That big old S on his chest. It's the thing that marks him out from every other superhero. It's not Batman. It's not the Flash. It's Superman. And in, in that sense, Christians are a lot like Superman. Not that we're extraordinary beings, but, but that we, too, have a, a mark that should be easily discernible by everyone. Uh, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 13, uh, verse 35, when he says uh, to his disciples, that all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, while faith and hope are distinguishing features of the Christian, the real telltale sign for others is love, because that's the one that shows up in our relationship to others. Uh, And and so tonight, uh, we're going to zoom in and focus on this characteristic of love. And, And we need to do a little bit of reorienting, because love is everywhere. Biblical love is not. And and so tonight we're going to look at what love is, biblically speaking, uh, why it normally isn't a distinguishing feature, uh, and how we can grow in love. So so let's start start with how love is popularly understood. Love is often understood as a feeling, right? It's a, uh, a feeling of affection towards someone or something. And that really can be applied to anything. Have you seen Spider-Man No Way Home? Oh yeah, I loved it. Or uh, have you had Mitchell's banana cream ice cream? Oh yes, I love it. Or was your mom the one who brought those delicious cookies? Yes, isn't she great? I love her. Or did you hear the Browns didn't make the playoffs again? That's okay, I still love them, right? It can be applied to basically anything. The question, of course, is what happens when you no longer feel that affection? I mean, we've all heard of the, the couples that are dating very seriously one day and the next minute they're broken up. And if you ask them, like, hey, what happened? They will, in one way or the other, tell you, uh, we, just, we just didn't love each other anymore. We just didn't really feel the affection, which is really a major departure from how the Bible talks about love. See, if you ask most Christians, they will say that love is an action, right? They have those pithy sayings like love is a verb and stuff like that. Uh, and the logic there uh, is that love uh, is a, a selfless, sacrificial act towards someone else. And there is a, a whole host of scriptural support for that. But here's my question. Is that all love is? Is love just a selfless act towards someone. Let me try to illustrate what I'm getting at. My wife's birthday is in a couple of weeks, and of course, I'm going to get her some presents. Now, when I give her those presents, and I, and I were to say to her, here, sweetheart, I got these for you because I'm supposed to act selflessly towards you. Is she going to feel loved? 
No, because I have acted out of obligation. No one wants you to act out of obligation. No one wants love to be just a verb. See, the reality is that love is feeling plus action. Yes, love is selfless, selflessly seeking the well-being of another person, but that, that selfless sacrificing action is, is motivated by our, our value, our affection for that person. And so, so yes, getting Em a birthday present is a selfless act toward her, but it's really only love if it's coming from a place of, of valuing her and an affection for her. And so that's how the Bible understands love, that it weds those two things together. And from that, we can draw two other uh, brief notes about how the Bible understands love. First, we don't expect repayment for our love. Uh, in other words, there are no strings attached. We don't act selflessly towards someone expecting them to repay us for that down the road. And secondly, the, the, the test for genuine biblical love is not if you act selflessly toward people you like, but toward the people you cannot stand. Because remember, Jesus said to love your enemies, to act selflessly toward them out of an affection, a value of them. And so this is how the Bible understands love. And it's what's supposed to characterize our lives as we call Jesus Savior and King. But tragically, I, I, that doesn't really seem to be the case. Uh, Barna Group, who does a bunch of surveys and statistics and all that stuff, did a study back in 2013, and they discovered that about 85% of, of non-Christian teenagers are close personal friends with someone claiming to be a Christian. But only 15% of those non-believers would say that the believer's lifestyle impacted them in a good way. What that means is simply this, that a lot of people claim to be Christians. Very few are being distinguished as Christians by their love. And so the question is, why is that? Why don't we love the way the Bible talks about and we can answer that question with a question of our own. What is the opposite of love? We're inclined to say hate. We are like just predisposed to say the opposite of love is hate, and that's not actually true. The opposite of love is selfishness. See, um, one of the greatest reasons why we don't love others the way the Bible tells us to is because we believe we won't get anything out of it. And it's so easy to think this way. Uh, recently, I... Uh, I experienced the worst first impression I've ever had with someone in my life. Just the moment I met them, it was awkward, it was uncomfortable, and, and, and shamefully to admit to you, I was thankful when they left. But of course, I'm working on this lesson, and afterwards I'm like, Caleb, why, was it, why didn't you love that person? And if I'm honest with you, it's because I knew that interaction with that person was going to cost me something horribly that I wasn't going to get a lot out of it, that it was going to be uncomfortable and draining, and it just didn't seem worth it in the moment. And that type of logic is actually quite pervasive. That's the logic uh, behind why bullying is still a major problem in schools. Bullying would be much less of a problem if people would step up to the bully and aid the person who's being oppressed, right? No one will do that, though, or most people won't do that because of the cost. They're not getting anything out of it. In fact, they're going to lose something. They're probably going to lose their status if they were to love the oppressed person in that way. 
So please understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that Christians are incapable of loving, like that they never love someone selflessly. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we are selfish with our selfless love. That we only love when it benefits us. What we tend to do is turn, uh, turn love into a transactional thing. And that can be hard to see sometimes because what we're purchasing is intangible. We can't, can't feel it or see it. Um, so like, s- suppose, uh, suppose you watch me interact with my family. Hopefully you would see someone who loves his family, who acts selflessly and sacrificially for their well-being. And I certainly strive to do that, but if I am honest at times, I will do that selfishly, or I have selfish motives driving that selflessness. Maybe I feel like I'm a crummy person, and I just need to boost my esteem, and so I act like I'm a good father and a good parent to try to make myself feel better. It's selfless actions from, selfish, from a selfish place. Or, or, or maybe, maybe I do it in a more public setting so people will notice me and approve of me and think I'm such a great person. Do you see how motives can really muddy things? That we can do selfless things for selfish reasons because we're trying to figure out how can I advance myself? How can I take care of myself here? (sighs) Unfortunately, we're predominantly selfish people. And I think we act this way because we believe that if we don't have our back, no one does. that, that we are the ones that have to take care of ourselves. And, you know, I guess if there's some scraps left over, maybe we'll consider sharing. Uh, okay, so love is acting selflessly for the well-being of others, which is motivated by our value and our affection of them. But oftentimes we don't act this way because we are inherently selfish. We're constantly asking, what's in it for me? Who's looking out for me? And so the question then is, how do we fix this? How, would we, how could we possibly grow in love? And our tendency here, as with all things, is to simply try and stop it. Just stop it and do better. We try to, to force ourselves to embody the type of love the Apostle Paul describes in our first text, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. So here Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, context is important here. Paul is not writing for a wedding, as we commonly think he is. Uh, With this list, Paul is actually accusing the Corinthians of not being these things. They should be patient and kind. They they shouldn't be envious, and yet they are. And if you've ever tried to love in this way or sustain love in this way, you know it's impossible. You you just, you can't do it out of sheer uh, willpower. And that's because love really isn't something that you just decide to do. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm just going to go love someone. Love is something that you have to experience in order to replicate. You are only able to love as much as you have been loved. And so if we want to love the way the Bible tells us in such a sacrificial, selfless way, we have to have experienced that love to that great of a degree, which is what John is writing about in our second text in 1 John 4, verses 8 and 11. I'm just going to read verse 8 for right now, though. 
anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I'm pretty sure that Paul and John didn't mean to do this, but I find it very interesting that when Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, it really sounds like he's talking about a person, just the way it's written. But then look at what John says in, in, in verse 8, that God is love. If you plug God into 1 Corinthians 13, it's very interesting. God is patient and kind. He does not envy, etc., etc., etc. That in God, we experience the love we need in order to love the way the Bible tells us to. And here's how we have experienced this love. Verse 9 uh, of John chapter, or 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John is saying uh, that, that this, this is the demonstration of true love, that, that God has acted selflessly and sacrificially for the well-being of the other, in this case, us. And you know, that, that big word in that text, propitiation, really drives that home. Propitiation means that there was a cannon called God's wrath aimed at your chest. And Jesus steps in, grabs the barrel, and aims it at himself. Jesus takes the wrath of God, directs it away from us, and says, fire, right at himself. That is an act of sacrificial, selfless love. And he did so because of his great love, his affection and value for us. And because we've experienced, John declares in verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, here's how love is supposed to become our distinguishing feature. We have to drink in God's love for us. We have to get swept up in God's unceasing care for us and and our well-being. And what that does is it frees us up uh, to act that way toward others, which means we have to do two things. One, we have to make sure that we, we have, uh, our, our tank is, is full, that we have drunk deeply of God's love for us, which means we, we have to stay close to him. We have to spend time with him and his word and prayer. Um, we have to experience as much of his love as possible. And the more we drink that in, the more we become convinced and rejoice in the fact that God always acts selflessly and sacrificially for our benefit, it really frees us up to act that way toward other people. If God's got my back, if God's looking out for me, then I am free to act that way toward all of you. That's what love is. And that's how we become marked out as the people of God. Mm -hmm.